Hey everyone, this is Mark. Thanks for listening to today's show. This episode is the first of two episodes featuring an interview Marcos did with Dr. Joseph Holbrook. In today's episode, we're going to hear the story of Dr. Holbrook walking away from the church he started and the love and community he found outside the traditional church. Then, we discuss Christianity's influence on American culture. One quick production note, Marcos, Victor, and I recorded this late into the night one night, so late, in fact, that Victor had to leave to get home, so Marcos and I finished the conversation, except I turned off the wrong mic when Victor left. So I've cut it together so it sounds like Marcos just talks to himself for about five minutes, but I assure you I was there and we were having a conversation. Uh, We've been busy all summer recording and editing and traveling, and we are very excited to share these next batch of episodes that we've been working on. We'd love for you to check out our website, exiledlector.com. At the site, you can find each episode's Spotify playlist. You can find links to our Instagram and Facebook feeds and all the show notes for the episodes. And with that, on to the show. As the torciadores, a.k.a. the cigar rollers, quietly rolled their cigars, and the despaliadoras, a.k.a. the strippers, stripped the stems from the tobacco leaves. They were entertained, informed, inspired, and enlightened by literature and the daily news. So began the tradition of El Lector, the reader. This is the El Lector podcast, stories and cigars from the exiled South. We hope you'll enjoy it. This is another Elector podcast. Uh, tonight, joining us here at the uh, Elector Eagle and Child table is Mark Norman. Say hi, Mark. Hey, how's it going tonight? Victor Labrada. Hello. And this is Marcos Ruiz, and uh, we're here on a... You know, when, when I first thought about recording out here, when I was thinking about it, it was winter, and now it is summer. And it is balls hot right now. Yeah, I think these recording sessions are going to become strip recording sessions soon. Yes. I've already shed one shirt <laughs> and I'm yeah. wearing just one now. Think think of the the warmest shower you've taken recently. Now take that shower for about 20 hours at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's Miami right now. Yeah, I think we'll be doing some recordings at some cigar shops in town. I think that'll be a good that's idea. A some air idea. conditioner and some good, good ventilation. We and need waterproof um, mics so we can record from the swimming pool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we're here. It's uh, it's a balmy Miami evening. We're glad you could join us. And tonight, uh, well, I'm I'm finishing off my uh, pre what what do, what do you call pre show prep cigar? Yeah, that is the uh, my father cigar by uh, Pepin Garcia cigars. It's a wonderful cigar. I love my father's cigars. They're fantastic. What are you smoking, Mark? I'm smoking the Taranio Exodus. It's got a new flashy label. It looks kind of tie-dyed. I wanted to try it out. It's something different this week. I have the... It's a much bigger ring gauge than I'm used to. Yeah. Really enjoying it. I usually Excellent. smoke like the Churchill, a little thinner, but this is humongous. Yeah, that's what I got. I, got, I took the, the, the Churchill size one today, and I, I'm probably going to light another one, because that's all I got is Churchill's. What about you, Victor? 
I believe I'm smoking the same cigar that you are. Correct no, that's a wrong. different one. You got to okay. put on your bifocals to read it, though. Yes, <laughs> the Flor de las, de las Antillas. Ah, Flor de las Antillas. And at the bottom of the ring here, it says uh, of the band, it says "My Father Cigars." Oh yes, okay. So it's Don Pepin Garcia again. Um, he's a great cigar maker. We we should probably try to get him or his son on the show sometime. Uh, it'll, be, it'll make for a good interview. And uh, so today we're we're going to be listening to an interview that I did a, f- a few months back of uh, Dr. Joseph Holbrook. He's a friend of mine. He's a pretty pretty interesting cat. So I thought it was I thought it would be a a really good interview uh, to discuss some uh, some things related to spirituality, religion. Joe came from a background of uh, he used to be a pastor and he left of a, of a church and he. He stopped pastoring one day. He said he just walked away from it, said he couldn't take it anymore. And uh, he's now an adjunct, adjunct professor at FIU, uh, teaches history. And uh, he's a really cool guy to hang out with, and I really enjoyed the, uh, the time I spent with him. And each of us had a chance to listen to the, the interview. And I wanted to, we wanted to kind of give a little setup for it, because we, we, we're, we vet it, we're going to be editing it. Uh, for the show, and we're actually going to be dividing it into two separate episodes. Yeah, so tonight's is going to be addressing the topic of uh, what we would call cultural Christianity. So it's really the idea, not about, we're not going to, you know, tell you the sinner's prayer. We're not going to talk about, you know, the... What is the sinner's prayer, Mark? Uh, <laughs> I, I think you have to have an altar, and there's a, a pastor has to do it, a Baptist. I think there's you, blood involved. You could probably, you could Google it. Yeah. Somebody will send you a text message telling you what to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we're not going to, you know, we're not here to, to do that. But we do want to talk about kind of the, some of the baggage that comes with our faith. Uh, we're all Christians here, and we, you know, that's very important to us. But I think culturally we get a bad rap. I think a lot of it's very much deserved. And that's what we're going to talk about today, um, tonight. In the, and you're going to hear a lot from Dr. Holbrook about that. Yeah, so when Mark says we get a bad rap, uh cats out of the bag each of us at this table we are we ascribe to the christian faith but l- let me disclaim what a probably every christian says i'm not that kind of christian what we're what we're trying to say is the, uh this is kind of the uh f you to cultural christianity show yeah maybe we'll call it that <laughs> yeah so I think let's listen to Dr. Holbrook with Marcos talk about it. So basically, the what is cultural Christianity? Let's let's talk about that for a second. So cultural, actually, Victor, why don't you before you take a swig of your drink, what what how how would you define cultural Christianity the way we're looking at it today? Well, I think uh, one of the other names of cultural Christianity is uh, Christian subculture, uh, which is a way of saying it's a kind of Christianity that you grew up in many people would say they grew up in as a christian uh they listened to a certain kind of music they watched uh probably not any movies um they only did certain activities and most of their social circle was uh, with other christians and that creates uh as you'll hear dr holbrook say a kind of ghetto or a kind of echo chamber where you are hearing back um, everything you've been raised with but the thing that makes cultural Christianity something that's so, um, I would say, almost dangerous is it's not necessarily Christianity. 
Um, it's almost like uh, some kind of uh, ersatz Christianity or a uh, replacement for Christianity that help, makes people think that they're in a good place, they're secure, they're certain, uh, but they're not really grabbing onto uh, what Christianity is about um, or what historically Christianity has been about or what Jesus was about. Um, and that kind of culture Christianity usually is on display. Um, there's a lot of caricatures of it. If you put on some televangelists or listen to some scathing critique of culture, you've probably heard um, a Christian just touting how the world is going to blow up and everyone's going to hell unless they do this or that. Um, and that gets um, tagged as Christianity. And I think we would all argue that, well, that's a version of Christianity, and that's usually associated with cultural Christianity, uh, which has less to do uh, about spirituality or what the Bible says and more to do about um, your identity. I think that's exactly right on. It reminds me of perhaps... I, I myself am not a CrossFit person, but <clears throat> I think we all have in our head a, what the CrossFit person is like. They post every workout they've ever done. They talk about it nonstop. Maybe they go to the gym in perfectly matching workout outfits with their swole mate. Um, <laughs> but I think that that, in my mind, is a caricature, perhaps, of people who really are just really enjoying working out and getting in better shape and getting all their gains and eating all their protein and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's kind of the baggage or the constructs that from the outside, perhaps we see about that community and we sometimes I think mistakenly associate with that community. And again, I'm not in that community myself, but I definitely have a caricature of that or like the gluten free movement or like raw foods. Like there, right. there's all these groups that we kind of speaking personally at least i definitely judge uh and look down on and it's definitely or it's largely because of probably the most vocal or right overused segments of that group yeah yeah and it's um i, I remember that quote from uh the one of the quotes that Gandhi is no actually that's the only quote from Gandhi that I know that's ascribed to him. Yeah, everything least. else was in Hindi. That's right, so I, I wouldn't be able to read it. But they, he did say one time that I, I don't have a problem to, to to Christians. He said I do not have a problem with your Jesus. I have a problem with his followers. And I think he was alluding to what we're talking about. You know this this uh, this subculture, as Victor said that that has basically taken the faith and it's something that i'm i'm personally very sensitive to because i i i'm i believe strongly in what i believe and and it is very it is part of who i am uh, and, and and it does define me to a certain to in a, in a very significant way and Nothing frosts my ass more than cultural Christianity and what it has what it has done for for at least a century, you know, that I can think of, and you know, and I'm sure way before that as well. Uh, that uh, to to our faith and and just just sent out horrible ambassadors to represent us. Hmm. And I know that we were we were speaking earlier about some examples, and I, I want to say these just because. It resonates with people, um, and, and it's it, it's negative. But we gotta we gotta speak honestly, right? 
we were talking about you know Pat Robertson and uh, his reaction to the earthquake in Haiti and saying that it was uh, Haiti was hit by this earthquake because God was punishing them for, uh, because they practiced voodoo and um, you know and then and then other evangelists who who made references uh, I believe uh, Victor you said earlier uh, the Jerry Falwell one mm-hmm. about 9/11 yeah um, that the attack on the Twin Towers happened because of the the gay community in America. Yes, exactly, because because of homosexuality and 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 you know and and, and we have and, and this is what everybody kind of sees, you know. And in the interview, it's uh, we'll, we'll we'll let you hear it in a bit, in a couple minutes. But in the interview, there's a reference to the the Muslim faith uh, towards the end. So, I want you to hear this this interview towards the end, and then what we're going to do is. We're gonna meet you at the end and kind of close out uh, with uh, with our own discussion and summary and our thoughts on the sh- on the interview. We'll digest. We will digest. Here is Dr. Joseph Holbrook. I was driving home one day around 1997 or eight with in my red Jeep with my 16 year old daughter having an argument with her, and at one point she said, "Dad, this church has nothing for me." Oh wow! Which cut me to the quick because it was the ch- it was my church. I was yeah. the father. Yeah. And I and I started pondering on what she said, and mm-hmm. I realized I had created a church that was incapable of ministering to the needs of my own children. Right. And that really began my exit out of pastoring. Hmm. Once I made that realization, and I saw that young people were graduating from from high school and they were leaving the church. Yeah. I ended up leaving with them. Hmm. So in 2000, I resigned, and my intention was to experiment with ways of reaching millennials and church structures or forms that would be would be more congenial to millennials. Right. I don't feel like I've done very well with that. Hmm. I feel like I've discovered all the ways that don't work. <laughs> but you, you, you like you definitely tried. Yeah, I definitely tried. Yeah. That's going to be on my tombstone. He tried. He tried. <laughs> uh, uh, well, but let's, but let's. Thomas Edison found all the ways the light bulb doesn't work. Right, but let's talk about that because I, I, I'm not sure if that's if I necessarily agree with you just trying. I think I think you you touched on something, which is why I wanted to talk with you. Um, I think you tapped into something that's that could be, as we flesh it out, might tell us a little bit more about Miami as well. You know, yeah. as, uh, not just millennials, but Miami. So that would be. Um, that would be kind of you hadn't defined it yet, but that would that would eventually turn into unchurched in Miami, correct? Well, that was a website that I created on a whim one night in a graduate class at FIU. Right. In that conversation we had, right. I, never, <coughs> I actually never did a lot with that website other than post a few articles. So what was what was the name of your meetings though? Because that's what I the guess God Party, the God Party. That's what it yeah. turned. That's what it really. It wasn't unchurched in Miami. It was actually the God, the God Party. Party. Okay, so the same the do- concept behind that. My same the same daughter who at sixteen was the rebel, mm-hmm. and her, her words actually opened my eyes to see a problem with the church. Right. Uh, the same daughter when she had graduated from college, uh, got a job as a bartender in Homestead at a biker bar. Okay. And as a good dad, I decided to go, suspiciously decided to go down and check out who her friends were. Right. And so I would go down there and order a drink and sit and 
watched the people she was interacting with and talked to her a little bit. Was she cool with that? And Yeah, she was good with it. Yeah. She appreciated me making an attempt to enter into her world. Okay. And so some of her friends came over and brought the drinks over and pulled up a chair and sat down with me. One of them was dressed in a trench coat with uh, false uh, wolf fangs. Okay. And yeah. he, he, he was a vampire wannabe. Okay. And another one was my future son-in-law. And they were a motley crew. Okay. Uh, several not atheists. Not the motley crew. A no, motley not the. Crew. A okay. motley crew. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Just uh, several down. atheists, a Buddhist, hmm. uh, people with, uh, you know, with a variety of beliefs, a couple of backslidden Christians. And so we started having these great conversations at the bar once mm-hmm. a week. Yeah. And she was working, you know, she'd come over when she could on, mm-hmm. the, on the clock. And eventually... There was so much life in it. We moved to her apartment and started having these once a week conversations mm-hmm. on on the on the patio. Right, and we we called it the God Party. Okay, and uh, in the beginning, I usually came with an in, kind of an internal outline or a agenda, and I tried to direct the meetings. I gave that up fairly quickly and learned that uh, that wasn't going to work. That I just needed to hang out with them enjoy their presence maybe i'd toss out a question mm-hmm. that would turn it, the conversation in a certain direction mm-hmm. and we usually talked about the big issues of life you know life after death is there god how do you know what's moral right uh, so we talked about the big picture issues the philosophical issues and and but it was a free-for-all yeah it was lively a lot of people sometimes shouting sometimes people got a little tipsy yeah the air was full of smoke and that went on for six years Wow. So what what year to what year, just to put it in the right context? Boy, you got me there. Let me see. It ended probably around 2013 or 14, so it must have started around 2005. Okay. Right. Almost. It almost coincides with the period I was in graduate school. Right, right. That's a, that's a good run. That's a good yeah. run. Yeah, so six years, and you and during that time... Um, you had these, this engaging conversation with these folks. Now, th- th- most of them were what age group? Uh, they were all millennials, uh, okay. from probably the youngest being at 25, 26, up to 35. Okay. Most of them were single, underemployed. Yeah. We had a lot more time back in those days. We yeah. Stay up all night talking, and some of them would be still talking at six or seven in the morning. Oh, good lord! Yeah. I think the longest we've gone at our Eagle and Child meetings is uh, one of my friends broke the record, or has holds the record. I think it was 3.30 in the morning. That's, that's, that's way too much already. It gets rough on me. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. But um, we had, uh, I would say, five or six young people progress through, uh, progress through a journey to a fairly deep and mature faith, including my two kids, my daughter and my son. Hmm. Uh, so that that made it worth it in right. itself. There were also some others who had been church dropouts yeah. who renewed their faith and are in some kind of active relationship with Christ now. So, so you so okay. So you you said earlier you, so you talked about uh, is there an afterlife? Uh, the, you know the existence of God or the non-existence of God, right? Um, what what with with these conversations. Um, um, what was what uh, you you just mentioned the benefit of it, but I want you to go a little bit deeper into that. So you had you had this um, these great conversations 
they usually ended up in in fights and arguments, but or not usually, but sometimes, right? They got lively. Yeah, they got they were lively. Okay, Um, what were some of the most challenging conversations that you had during that time? Well, one repeating theme was their anger at the church. Hmm. That kept coming up over and over and over. Finally, to the point where we had a, a a couple conversations where we said, "Look, let's get past this." This is not a church. We're not talking about church. We're not inviting anyone to church. Let's let's let go of the, your anger for the church. And let's talk about what what do we want to do? What yeah. kind of people do we want to be? And let's yeah. let's get past the anger and disappointment with the church mm. issue. So that was one thing. Uh, one story that I think illustrates the value of what we did in those years was the the guy who was the vampire guy. Mm. I just call him the vampire guy. Uh, he. He was a uh, very bitter and disillusioned ex-Jehovah's Witness. Oh, wow. He had seen things in the in the Jehovah's Witness church that he was part of that had really made him bitter towards Christians. Yeah. In his mind, uh, they were Christians. Right. And uh, so he came as a solid atheist. And, over, and he was one of the most vocal <clears throat> and antagonistic people in the group. But the day came when he said, you know what, I don't think I'm an atheist. I think I'm probably an agnostic. Oh, okay. And then you know, six months went by, and he said, "I've decided I'm going to be, I'm going to embrace Native American mm-hmm. animism." Okay. And he he kept making this progress from materialist to skeptical to uh, spiritual, but not necessarily Christian. And and he actually stopped coming right at the point where he re- I think he realized he was going to become a Christian if he continued. Right. Right. Uh, but he made he went through a journey. Huh. And, I think the key is that they, I didn't try to direct the conversations. Right. I had no agenda. Yeah. And if I had have had an agenda, it wouldn't have worked. Hmm. But it was the non-agenda approach and the undirected uh, conversations that were fruitful. Right. Another young man was a uh, ex-youth pastor, hmm. and he showed up very bitter towards his church about the way he had been mishandled. Right. And they marginalized him from his position of leadership. Mm-hmm. And he went through two, three years of anger towards God. He never doubted God, but he became angry. Yeah. And he was able to express the anger in a safe place and uh, work through it. And today he's walking with the Lord. So I guess that's interesting. So so you you basically just let the conversations flow. Mm-hmm. You, you let it be a conversation as I opposed to... I might springboard it off, but sure. then I let it go wherever they wanted to go with it. Right. Right. So, and and then and that you know, so much of what the way we, especially you know, we we were talking about this earlier at dinner. There's so much of what we do, um, uh, uh, the the so much of the present um, perspective on things is that you have to convince people, right? And and it, it what I find funny about that, whatever your ideology is, whatever. Choose your ideology. There's this this desire to convince and make people come to your side, and so much of of what we, you know, we who have have that experience of the church, you know, you know, back going back to when when I was growing up in the '80s and '90s, there was so much trying to convince and telling people, no, but you, we're right, you're wrong, and you have to believe what we believe. Yeah, that's a sure way to lose millennials. Right. Right. They're not. They're going to smell a sales pitch a mile off. Yeah, I, th- I think that's interesting because uh, there, there's uh, even even today, like I'll, I'll be just in conversations with people about any any given topic, and and 
and the the uh, there's this this desperate attempt to to control the conversation to to take hold of the of the of the dialogue and, and make sure that you're guiding it in the right direction. I've been guilty of that as well, even through the eagle and child thing that we do. Well I certainly was as well and it, it was really hard for me to be broken from that habit. Yeah. But these young people broke me. You right. know, after six years I gave up and I just I just enjoyed lighting up a cigar and hanging out with them. Right, right. Being friends, right? Yeah. Did you make a lot of friends during that time period? Yeah I did. Uh, some some of them are still my some of my best friends. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned earlier, but I kind of glossed over. You said that uh, at, at the end, um, where did you find yourself in your relationship with your daughter specifically? Since you mentioned her, and oh, it it completely saved my relationship with her. Mm. Uh, we're very close today. Yeah. And uh, and my son, mm. they uh, I think they deepened in their faith. One of my desires with it was that they could have a legitimate faith without becoming cultural Christians, mm-hmm. if you know what I'm saying. What happens well, so many times... Talk a little bit about cultural Christianity. I will. Uh, what happens many times is you take someone like my vampire friend, uh, if, if they're receptive, and you evangelize them, you get them to pray a prayer, and then you take them to church, and you, tell, you start telling them the do's and don'ts. Yeah. And what they can say and what they can't say, and here are the songs that we sing. Yeah. And so they learn the songs, they learn the correct vocabulary, they learn the behaviors, and they develop a culture without developing a genuine deep faith. Right. And they might not even understand the faith. All they learn is how to behave mm-hmm. as a, as, a, as a Christian. Maybe not even. Maybe as a church person, as as opposed to a Christian, right? And then, therefore, you end up with what we've seen. You end up with substandard Christianity, where Christians can be hateful mm-hmm. and highly political, and bitter, and or racist, mm-hmm. or uh, very uh, insensitive to the poor, or the marginal, right? Because they're not. There's not a genuine faith. There's only a cultural veneer, right? Yeah. My contention would be that. Most of the initiatives of the of my generation, the baby boomer generation, uh, I can remember one campaign after another campaign, uh, Billy Graham crusades, uh, all kinds of attempts to evangelize and disciple our entire culture. Right, and I think it created a multitude of of false conversions, hmm. or abort, uh, not aborted. What's the word I want to say? Pre- uh, premature births. Right, where people came into a knowledge of Christianity, but without the transforming power, hmm. and therefore you end up with a certain kind of Christianity that most people look at and say, "Uh-uh, thank you, but no thanks." Right. So cultural Christianity would, um, for lack of a better word, trump actual um, faith transformation. Right. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, spiritual transformation. If a f- there's several friends of mine, if they were here, they could probably make the argument that Christianity needs a culture, or that mm. Christianity produces a culture. Yeah. However, when I when I'm using it in the sense of a subculture mm-hmm. that is uh, an outward behavior, but perhaps lacking the inward depth and the discipleship, right, and the inward commitment, the inward reality of a spiritual experience. Yeah. Recently, someone did some research. And they found that what people go to church looking for more than anything else is to experience God. 
And what they most often don't find, they don't have that experience of God in church. Mm, And so uh, what I desired in my God party was that if someone had a hungry heart and an honest heart, that they would at some point along the way experience God Mm. totally apart from my agenda through God's initiative. And it didn't happen to the extent I hoped to see it, but it did happen with my son, with my daughter, with a few other people where they experience God in a transformative way without picking up the accoutrements of a Christian subculture. Right, right, yeah. So much of Christianity, uh, as we know it, defined in, in, in our Western culture, is, is cultural. I was watching this movie, Saved, uh, that came out in 2004. I was watching it last night. What it, what it is is a criticism of, not of Christianity, uh, it's it's a criticism of Christian culture, and I confessed. Oh yeah, and I confessed that 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 basically what I was entrenched in at the time, at that same time, two thousand four, I was I was enmeshed in Christian culture at the time, and not not in my faith. Uh, I was enmeshed in how I was supposed to behave, what I was supposed to do, what I was not supposed to do, especially the long list of don'ts, and. Um, and and the jargon, the 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 rhetoric of that came with that Christian culture, it's in that film. Uh, it's a great film. I, I highly recommend watching it. It's uh, it, it's it'll it'll refresh some of those conversations you had at the God Party and why these people were so frustrated. Uh, and and it was and anyway, so it's 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 definitely Christian culture, which is uh, is a is a is a problem. Uh, and, and and we're seeing the 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 outcome of it now, not the outcome. We're seeing the the catastrophe the, that it left behind. Absolutely, sorry I totally to use agree. the term "left behind," but yeah. Oh yeah, there you go. There you go. You had to bring that in. Yeah. <laughs> well, what that Christian subculture does is it isolates Christians from the world. And by the world, I don't mean the world that we, that we're to hate, but the world that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right. How can we, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, where Paul's confronting the believers in Corinth for tolerating sin in their midst. And he says, he says in there, I do not by any means mean that you should judge an outsider who is an adulterer or fornicator or any of these things. Because then you'd have to go out of the world. And what he's saying is that we, within a Christian community, there's a certain kind of critical discernment that is appropriate mm-hmm. out of love to try to call one another up to a higher standard. But to bring that kind of judgment, and the word the, the word for judgment, krino, in the New Testament, sometimes it's translated discernment, sometimes it's translated in a negative sense, like do not judge. Mm. And we bring that kind of judgment into the world and we judge the world and that's not our business. Yeah. And with that Christian subculture puts a cocoon. Mm-hmm. It puts us in a ghetto. It keeps us safe from the world, but it keeps the world safe from Jesus. Yeah. And that's a huge problem. Mm. Um and I'm not saying that there's not a valuable there's not some value in living in Christian community mm-hmm. and having standards and borders sure. and yeah. boundaries. But to let uh, a certain kind of a Southern Gospel Christian subculture keep you separated from the people who need to hear your message mm-hmm. is a problem. Yeah, 
or from millennials or from a generation. And I was trying to figure out how to break through that. What right. I found was I broke through it and I turned around and everybody else, all my friends stayed in it. And I found myself kind of isolated out in the world. Yeah. And uh, it was a one-way ticket. There was no going back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. The the. I think some people... What, what would you say to someone who would push back and say to you, well, what do you mean people who need to hear the message? What would you say to those? Well, if we believe that Christ has a message of restoration of creation, which can be personal restoration, but it can also be collective or social restoration, it can be restoration of the environment, that the kingdom of God is a concept of, of peace and harmony, of the lion and the lamb lying down together, if we believe that has some kind of universal application for humanity mm -hmm. and it has some kind of blessing for humanity uh, to bring if he's the prince of peace that brings peace to all nations then we we have a responsibility to bring this message of peace and reconciliation to the larger uh, society right but as saint francis said you know preach the kingdom of god as often as you can and when you have to use words uh -huh. And and we haven't done that very well. We mostly use words and judgment and not acts of reconciliation and mercy and compassion. Hmm. Did that make sense? I hope it did. It did. It did. Um, it did to me in my head. <laughs> uh, of course, there's there's rum involved in, in peace. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the rum always helps. Yeah. What would you say to a a, a person who said, "Yeah, but uh, Joe, but what about?" Muslims who say that that they have a, a, a message that people need to hear. Well, they do. Yeah, uh, Islam is known it. for its for its emphasis of equality. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't always practice it, just like Christianity. But mm -hmm. one of the appealing things about early Islam was that it it was very colorblind mm -hmm. and it was very class blind, mm -hmm. and it emphasized a, a certain a, a sense of brotherhood and fraternity. Where, regardless if you're poor or rich, black or white, you were part of the Ummah. And so I think Islam has some good things. Hmm. And uh, I think they're missing some good things. I think we have some good things that Islam... Islam doesn't really have a concept of grace. Because there's not a concept of fatherhood and sonship. Hmm. And, uh, and so, as a Christian, I believe that there's some things we have that are unique that could benefit Muslims if, if they were open to it. Right. But there has to be a two-way street, that dialogue. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be able to look at at reasonable, moderate Islam and see what what things they can offer to us. Yeah. Uh, I, I tell you, I, see not, I don't see any beauty more attractive on the FIU campus than the modesty of some of these Muslim girls walking around with the hijab. Mm -hmm. Lovely young ladies, uh, but very modestly dressed. Mm -hmm. and, and there's something appealing about that. I mean, I'm not saying it's for everyone. Yeah. But there's something nice about it. And so, uh, yes, there's a problem with radical Islamic terror. Mm -hmm. And that has to be talked about openly and honestly. But uh, as someone I, I was reading recently pointed out, the radical Islamists are the enemy of Islam mm -hmm. as much or more than there are enemy. Because they're the ones that are trying to topple these governments in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that are trying to take over uh, secular Muslim societies, like in uh, Indonesia yeah. or Turkey. Mm -hmm. And so it's complicated, but I don't think we can write off, you know, 1.5 billion or whatever the number is now Muslims as our enemy. Right. 
they're people of the book. They're children of Abraham. And so we need to try to find some common ground with Muslims of good faith. Yeah. And Muslims do honor Isa or Christ. And they do honor Mary. Uh, they don't they don't see Christ as the Son of God incarnate in God incarnate, but they do hold Christ in a high place of honor in their religion. Right. So I think there needs to be some dialogue and some maybe even some prayer together. Hmm. Does that sound a little too radical? No, not at all. It actually sounds beautiful. I, and I think when you said reasonable and moderate Muslims to find them. Well, you know, it's the same as trying to find reasonable and moderate Christians. That's right. <laughs> so, what, what, what I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of trying to get to a point in my, in, in my head, which is that this. A lot of times, people will hear conversations like this. They'll, they'll turn on a podcast or, or a radio interview or whatever, or walk into a restaurant or into a, 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 a meeting of guys sitting in the back porch smoking cigars, and they hear. They hear something that sounds Jesus-y, and they, they immediately turn off in their heads. Well, yeah, yeah. and I can sympathize because oh, yeah. uh, I think this. you might have to edit, edit this out, too. Uh, well, in we'll talking see. to millennials, vocabulary is important. Mm -hmm. And so if I say Jesus, I can see them flinch. Yeah. Be why? Because the religious right and dumb Christians have mm -hmm. drug Jesus' name in the mud. Yeah. And they've equated Jesus with hating gays, mm -hmm. Jesus with make America great again, uh, you know, a, a powerful nation, military, a militaristic nation. Mm -hmm. And so the name of Jesus has been drugged through the mud. Right. So what do we do with that? Maybe we, say the, for it. Maybe we say the Logos. Mm -hmm. You know, talk about the Logos, mm -hmm. which is... a. a a concept that John uses in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. That's yeah. the actual Greek word behind, in the beginning was the Word. Yeah. And so, may we do that. May we talk about the Pneuma instead mm. of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That doesn't change who Jesus is or mm -hmm. who the Holy Spirit is. But when you're talking to millennials, they've heard these terms thrown about in very damaging ways. Yeah. So, yeah. what do we? Where do we go with that? Right. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, a lot of times I'm in conversations with somebody, and you know, I'm. You know, I, I was never even in my culture in my in the height of my cultural Christianity days. I was never really good at evangelism. You know, that's that's the uh, the broadcasting of the faith, right? That's the the announcement of of the good news, right? Uh, that that Jesus is Jesus saves and all that. I was never very very good at it. But I, I found that um, that I was later on in life that 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 I was I like people and I liked hanging out with people I like talking to people and listening to them. But I find it difficult. I find it almost impossible sometimes to to say anything when somebody's saying things about how they were they you know their perception of, of the Christian faith. Can, can I offer a suggestion about sure. why that is? Sure. Yeah. Because I think you're sensitive to people. Mm. And, you, and I don't think you want to manipulate people. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say something a little radical here, that if you're not good at evangelism, a la the 1990s or the 1980s right. style, what that means is you're not good at manipulation. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. You're not good at sales techniques. Yeah. And thank God for that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not at all. I always tried to friendship evangelism, and I found out I was really good at the friendship, and I sucked at closing the deal. Yeah. <laughs> And I remember that, that friendship evangelism. Who started that? I made lots of friends that way. 
Yeah. But I never closed the deal. You never closed and the of deal. Course, I immediately switched to a sales metaphor. When I say close the deal, I'm talking in sales terms. Yeah, you never, you never, you never ended up sending them to the finance guy to to, to work and out. And what the, is what is to sell them the what is the, closing the deal on a friend anyway? That's multi-level marketing. Right, right. So uh, I would say thank God that you were never very good at it because I don't see it as biblical evangelism. Right. Well, I'll drink to that. Cheers. Here we go. Cheers. Cheers. All right, we are rolling. Is that coming through? Absolutely. I'm lighting another cigar. This is the uh, the San Lotano San Otano Oval by AJ Fernandez, one of my favorites. So that was uh, that was Dr. Joseph Holbrook, and I want to make a correction. He's the adjunct professor at FIU uh, for history and religious studies, and you probably picked up on some of that during the interview. Uh, very knowledgeable man. Uh, great to sit down with and I felt privileged to do so and uh, now you know we're sitting here we we just heard this interview and we we I just wanted to kind of ask the question to of you guys what what made you did any of that stuff that he said that we talked about make you cringe or make you feel uh, uncomfortable and uh, and make you go ouch when you heard it anything at all um, he starts off by talking about how he realized that the church he was the pastor of didn't have anything to offer for his, his daughter. Mm-hmm. He was a teenager at the time. That really uh, hits me as someone who is, you know, invested in my church and I have kids and, you know, they're much younger than that now. But I think about a lot of how I related to my faith as a child and all of it as a child, teenager, adolescent, whatever. Uh, it was so informed by my relationship with my parents and specifically my parents' relationship with the church and with, with Christianity. And so to hear him say that is, is, it's kind of, wow, like that's profound because that's the idea, right? You want to, you know, raise up your child in the, the ways that they won't depart from it. Yeah. I wonder what it was though that, I mean, specifically that, that she was alluding to or what she was referencing because, you know, based on the conversation, I guess what made me cringe was pretty much all of it. Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking about, like I said in the interview when I was speaking with him, uh, the, how I was at a certain time. I, I have a friend who I lost touch with, uh, who I was friends with, and I know exactly when it was in. It was about 1995, 96, 97, right around there. And then we, he kind of like drifted away. He wasn't, he wasn't a Christian. And about 10, 15 years later, we reconnected, and he was really hesitant in reconnecting with me, and he shared with me, he said, you were an asshole back then. And I said, and I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, man, you were just, you just, you were just different. You were, you were really churchy, and you were, you were, it was all Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I said, and I was like, I was not. And I was, and then I, I politely said, "Well, you know, agree to disagree." And uh, you know, we we continued talking. And I said, and you know, we had a few beers, and 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 you know, we let it slide, or he let it slide. And then I started thinking about it over time, years after that, and I realized, man, I really was part of that nasty, judgmental, you know, tr- overbearing culture. That and that's he picked up on it, and and I. And it hurts because I, I, I damaged a friendship and I didn't even know it. So, yeah, that, that resonated with me. Well, 
what got me was, um, I mean, my upbringing, I was in a nominal Catholic family, but they wanted to send me to a, a private Christian school because the public schools in Miami at that time, and I'm not sure if now, but at that time, public school was not an option uh, for them. Uh, not a place you wanted to send your kids. So they sent me to a Christian schooling, uh, not so that I'd become a pastor one day, but rather so that I'd be successful and not end up on cocaine or pregnant. Right. Because and pregnancy was definitely a risk factor for you. Yes. Yes. Definitely. I, I had a certain way. <laughs> and you had a certain uterus. And, <laughs> and in that, um, I feel like I picked up all of the negative aspects of Christian culture because I kept hearing all of these judgments, all of these um, kind of delineated, this is what to believe, this is what's going to happen, um, it's inevitable, but I was getting none of the Christian community. I didn't go to church. I would go to mass, you know, every now and then, but I, I didn't have that experience of getting to know the Christians. So I kind of assumed, well, this is what Christianity is. And what that meant for me was going on uh, message boards, which at the time were called news groups, and getting into arguments with atheists mm. and into arguments with uh, people who believe in evolution. And as a 15-year-old feeling very accomplished <laughs> for proving somebody wrong on the internet, um, I was doing that before it was cool. The highest calling. Yes, the highest calling. Um, you know, just under, uh, you know, emperor uh, in, in the Christian world. Widows, orphans, people who are wrong on the people internet. People who are wrong on the internet. Make sure to take care of all those. <coughs> yeah. Um, and... In that way, I my parents didn't really care what I, you know, watched or listened to, so I didn't experience that part of Christian subculture. But I definitely got really good at pointing out where people were wrong, mm-hmm. and trying to convince them of what was right. And none of that was based on my own personal feelings of what was right or wrong or correct or not. It was more based on almost feels like what I was programmed to say and programmed to think. Um, and while I don't, you know, I don't want to completely disparage Christian schooling, I felt like I, I kind of inherited this, um, this sense of being that Christian that turns people away or that turns yeah. people off to Christianity. And it wasn't until actually, uh, ironically, maybe for some people, until I became a part of a church that that started unraveling and I was kind of deprogrammed mm-hmm. um, by a very loving church, uh, a grace-based church. Yeah. Um, I saw this play out, and uh, this is a, a funny and embarrassing story. Um, years and years later, after high school, and this is only a few years ago now, I had just moved to uh, a town in North Carolina, and I didn't know anybody there. Um, I had just moved there. I was uh, an intern. I'd moved there to be, to be an intern at a small church. And this was a very, um, for lack of a better term, progressive church. Uh, or rather a church that was very attuned to what Christianity sounds like to most people. And uh, a friend of mine um, had set me up with uh, a few people that he knew in this town and said, hey, you should hang out with these people. They're cool people. You know, they'll they'll show you around. So we all went to, um, met up with this group and we went to listen to a folk singer. And I could kind of tell in in the music that was being sung that this was somebody who used to be a Christian. Um, and this was in the South, in North Carolina. There's a lot of people who used to be a Christian there. <laughs> and afterwards, we all went to a uh, kind of a hip brewery pub kind of place. And people were trying to get to know me. 
and they asked, um, so what brings you to, to North Carolina? And I, the first thought I had was, I can't let these people know that I work for a church. Hmm. That was just my, my, my gut feeling. If they find out that I'm an intern, a pastoral intern at the church, they're going to, you know, chew me up and spit me out or just give me the cold shoulder. So I, be, I was very vague. Uh, I was like, oh, well, you know, I just wanted to make a new beginning here. I just want to get to know people. And I wasn't lying. Um, but at the same time, I realized halfway through that I, I sounded like somebody who had just gone through a divorce yeah. and was moving to a brand new place to start over. Um, and as I got closer and closer to uh, who I actually was, there was one person who had uh, lived uh, in St. Louis where I had gone to seminary. And they found out I lived in St. Louis. And they're like, oh, did you know so-and-so? It's like, uh, I did actually. It's like, oh, yeah, they went to my church there. And my thought wasn't, oh, oh, she's a Christian. My thought was, oh, crap. She's going to find out that I'm a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, hastily said, oh, it's getting late. It was like 1030. And <laughs> so oh, I have to get going. And I, you know, went back. Um, I called a friend of mine on the phone. And I was like, man, what do you, how do you, what do you tell people when they ask you, you know, if you're a Christian or not? The next day, I'm having lunch with somebody from my church there. And I'm telling them this story. And they asked me, oh, what was the name of that girl? I was like, oh, I saw oh, so-and-so. And I was like, oh, really? I, I had them in my youth group. And wait, who else was there? And I just named a few people that I happened to meet. It's like, oh, yeah, all of those people used to be part of my church. Wow. And I realized I had been talking to a bunch of people who were either practicing Christians or had been Christians. But none of what they said led on that they were Christians. Right. So we were both hiding from each other. Everybody. Everybody, yeah. everybody in the room. Everybody in the room did yeah. not want the other person to know that they had been associated with Christianity. So we have to say why that is, right? You know, I mean, we have to, I mean, there's a million, there's a million reasons why, but I'm thinking like, you know, for example, okay, so, so Christians are, 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 are known as bigots. They're, they're, uh, they're seen as homophobic. Uh, we are seen as uh, judgmental, harsh, uh, uh, voraciously American, right? <laughs> and all Republicans too, right? All Republicans. And, and it's this, this, uh, this image that's been set up because, and, it, and who's, who's at fault for that? Cultural Christianity. It's, it's, not, on, it's not on anybody else. We, we, we gave, we, we set it up for ourselves. You know, we, we made that distinction. We said, this is who we are. And, and it's not at all um, you know, as, as I say this as a Christian, it's not at all biblical. It's not at all who, who it doesn't represent me, at not uh, one iota, you know. And, and yet, I've been in that same boat where, I, where I've been like, eh, let me not talk about it too much because what will people think? And I don't want to push anybody away. And really, it's, 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 it's just shame. It's, mm. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a, I mean, it, not a shame. It's, it's simply shame that we carry because of what's what cultural Christianity has done. And, you know, at the beginning of the show, I said, this is a big F you to cultural Christianity, and I, I kind of laughed about it, but I'm not laughing about it. I'm being serious. This is, <laughs> that's exactly what, I, what, what this is. And, and, um, and, and we, need to, we need to, I mean, what are some of the things, Mark, what, what are some other things that you see as part of the, the reason why people see Christianity that way? It is so categorically not cool to be a christian right now um i find it really hard to live out both what i know to be true and what i was raised in 
while at the same time striving hard to be, I, I think the term that I hear used the most and I use the most is winsome. Like I want to make sure that people who meet me that are wherever they are in their relationship with God, whether they hate him, whether they love him, whether they don't know him, whether they haven't heard of him, I work I work hard almost probably to use a, a jargon term here, but almost to the point of, of idolatry. I'm I'm focused on making sure that I don't offend or, or turn somebody off to the idea that Christianity is for them. Because ultimately that's that's a Christian's goal, right? And um it it's so not cool from our culture's perspective to be Christian right now kind of the the conundrum that most people who would say they're christian uh, fall into which is at at best you're stupid at best you're stupid to believe in god because uh somebody proved it doesn't exist at some point um and at worst you're a westboro baptist oh so yeah you live between those two poles you're either to be pitied for your stupidity or to be reviled for your judgment or conviction or whatever and the kind of terrible part about Christianity, and when I say terrible, I mean terrible for just your social life, is it kind of leans into stupidity. Um, in the Bible, it's it's not talking about the people with the best arguments win. Uh, the Bible wasn't written during the Enlightenment. Um, it wasn't written to be a formula. And for a lot of people, faith, you know, they don't want to say that faith contradicts reason, but faith supersedes reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that the Bible asks you to believe things that simply aren't true, but rather the belief found in the Bible is not something that you're going to be able to convince somebody else of. You can have an argument with those petitioners and then kind of come to a math problem and see, uh, well, there, see, you're wrong and I'm right. It's not how the Bible is written. Uh, it doesn't give Christians that ability. And I think a lot of what Christian culture was, was trying to give Christians that ability, trying to give Christians some sense of power and yeah, not power to like take over, but power, like security, like, don't worry. There's a coalition of people behind you ah, yes. who think that a Christian coalition, that, like a Christian coalition of sorts. Um, so you can feel free to just rebuff that or don't worry about it. And what Jesus directs his followers to do is, is not to uh, create a cloister and then yeah. sit in the power of the cloister, but rather to go out and live amongst that ten- tension, not to be reclusive from it, um, and not to be submerged, like not to become a part of it either. And it's that tension that very few people would choose to live in. We all kind of choose our community of people who will agree with us eventually. Yeah. And Christians are finding that, yeah, maybe for the last couple hundred years, America was a cloister. And... You can believe whatever you wanted to, but as long as you love America, God, and you know your family, you're good. And now that's no longer the case. Um, and now Christians are having this kind of identity crisis of, well, we have to destroy the element of the culture that's keeping us from just being complacent and calm. Uh, whereas maybe that was just, you know, a, a hundred-year rest that we had where we didn't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. But Christianity, for a lot of times in history and a lot of places in the world right now, has always lived in a, in a tension that's kind of against the culture. It's true in China. It's true in many countries right now. Where if you're a Christian, it's not only not cool, it's illegal. Yeah. 
and here in America, it's, um, I don't know, it's become the kind of thing that if you want to be accepted, it's, it's the reverse of how it was 50 years ago. If you want to be accepted, don't associate yourself with that kind of group. Yeah. This goes back to the anger at the church, uh, at, you know, when Dr. Holbrook was talking about uh, the recurring theme at the God Party being anger at the church. And you, you said 100 years of that the, the, the church kind of got by with, with some rest, but th- it was 100 years also of building an argument to get people pissed off at the church. That's yeah. <laughs> what so it turned out to be. And I would say as a, as a Christian, I don't think anything ruffles my feathers more than when Christians try to speak to culture from a position of power. Yes. Because it it's it's my favorite quote from my favorite movie, which is The Big Lebowski, of course, where um, the dude says to Walter, he's like, "No, you're not wrong. You're just an asshole." Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't think, and I truly think that Jesus would not have been viewed as an asshole. And that's that's what bugs me, is it's like, well, wait, you're you're trying to prove to them that two plus two equals five, or, or two plus two equals four, and you're 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 either trying that's what it is. You're either trying to say that 2 plus 2 equals 5 and they don't buy it because they know otherwise. Or you are trying to angrily shout at them that 2 plus 2 equals 4 and how could they be so blind that that doesn't make sense to them? That and both of those positions bother me. It, and it's it's not that I want to be wrong or I want to um, not speak up when I feel very confident that that I do have a bit of an understanding of what the truth is, the capital T truth. But it's more just like, I want to hear. I want to listen. I want to better understand. And I think for me personally, like I'm 33 years old, and I grew up, uh, spent the first 18 years of my life going to, you know, essentially one church. And then I went away to college, spent four more years at a church really similar. And these are both conservative. I, I would say that 95% of the people in the church would have been Republicans. Um, I remember there was a bit of a scandal in my, my college group because one year for the Easter um, the Easter brass ensemble, word got around, oh, I heard, I heard there's a lesbian uh, playing her French horn on stage. It's like, what? Can you believe that? And and I was, you know, probably 19 or 20, and I, I, I want to say that I remember feeling conflicted and being, you know, like, well, wait, you know, at least she's in church and, you know, or whatever. But I was probably just offended. Mm-hmm. And, 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 like, so I think a lot of it is my own baggage of just understanding that those people that I had boiled down into checkboxes or, you know, single issues or whatever – realizing now as an adult or as as you know finally having a better grasp of grace maybe that those are people and those are uh image bearers of of christ we would say and and that's that's i have a hard time with that like like i want to understand that i hope people understand who are listening what what we're what we're doing here it's uh we're basically confessing you know, we're we're owning up to to our own bullshit. I think is is uh, as clearly yeah. as I can say it. And you know, because we we've again being being part of that Christian culture in the past and having uh, come out of it for the most part, uh, we're we're looking back at, at at a train wreck of of really bad decisions and and really bad judgment calls on 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 well-meaning church leaders, well-meaning 
uh, uh, you know, pastors and, 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 and others who, and professors at, at seminaries and colleges, but they, they, I think, I think, you know, we have to look at what, what got control of them with their, their egos and their, and their, 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 their to be, to be right at all costs. Uh, we have, and that's what we're doing here. We're really just confessing this and 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 I think that's what 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 uh, Dr. Holbrook had look, had came when he came to his crossroads. He he had to and you know going back to his, the story he shared about his daughter, uh, that it took that to to rattle his cage and just make him make him really reflect. And and what we're trying to do here and what we're trying to 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 say to Christians and to also atheists and agnostics and whoever 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 is listening to this show. We need to be, we need, all of us, we need to reflect, we need to pause and reflect and meditate on what we're about and what we're thinking and the things that have been fed to us and, and, and look at what we believe or don't believe and, and, and just look at it objectively. And I think that's, that's a really difficult thing to do because uh, one of the things that he, he, he called the, the church a cocoon, he called cultural Christianity, better said, a, a cocoon. And I think that's a great reference because I think what we do is we we encapsulate ourselves in our own ideas, and 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 you know someone might say, well, you know, because th this goes for everybody, guys. This isn't just about cultural Christianity, you know. So you, you might run into someone who says, well, see, I have a problem with the church, with the Catholic Church, for example, because of X, Y, and Z. You know, the priests uh, are child molesters. The uh, they take money from the, from the poor, or, or whatever your your reasoning is. You 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 got to be able to break out of your cocoon and see a bigger picture. You know we can't we can't cloister ourselves because then we're we're no better than cultural Christianity and the damage that that it caused. Yeah, and I want to make a clarification: the the bullshit we're confessing is uh, at least for me. Uh, I'm not trying to say, oh, you know, let's back off. Yeah, Jesus was, wasn't really the son of God. Or, yeah, really, the Bible could be anything. Or, really, all religions are the same. Yeah, um, that's not aspect, it. Yeah. That, that's, um, yeah, that's a conviction I have, and I believe it's true. And I, I wouldn't be, a, I don't think I gain much from being a Christian uh, and not believing those things. Um, I believe those things to be true, but the, I think the bullshit is this kind of underlying, I'm a Christian because somehow I'm better than you. Right. Yes. And I think that's the reviling aspect of it that, you know, I'm just a bit smarter, so I believe this. Right. Or I'm just a bit more moral or a bit I get it more and hopefully you'll get it too. And maybe I'll shove a few books in your face so you can read it and get it also. And that's not at all the approach Jesus had. Right. Um Jesus kind of spoke as he he kind of he did speak as someone with complete authority. Um, and not just authority like he was the boss, but authority like he authored um, the truth. And at the same time, in complete humility. And he encompassed both of those things perfectly. And uh, as Christians, we find ourselves kind of at, at either pole where you'll hear people speaking with complete authority and they just sound proud. And we hate pride in yeah. our culture. Um, that's a cultural thing too, by the way. There's other cultures that love pride. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we might value humility because of just the Christian history that we have, um, that all of a sudden humble people are seen as being more noble. Um, so we might either be seen as people who are uh, bullheaded and, no, you need to believe this or that and we're too proud. Or the other direction is, you know, we just clam up and like, hey, we don't want to offend you. 
you know, you can just go on and be whoever you are. Who are we to say? And I think Christianity exists, um, true Christianity exists between those two places um, where a Christian would say that they've kind of caught wind of something. They see a color that other people can't see. Mm-hmm. Or they see that 2 plus 2 equals 4 and somehow other people can't see it. But it's not because uh, they're better. And it's not because they're smarter. It's not yeah. because um, whatever, any kind of thing we could gloat over. And then what the Bible teaches is, you know, our belief is a gift so that no one can boast that they're better. Yeah. Um, that we are... Uh, I, I, for me, I really... And I think if I was there with Dr. Holbrook, I would have asked him what brought him to belief. Hmm. Um, with my theolo- without getting too much into the theology, with my theology, uh, God brought me to belief. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, I read a lot of books, I knew a lot of people and all that, but if it hadn't been for God's intervention, um, you know, I, I wouldn't believe any of this stuff. Uh, it's not that it makes complete sense. Uh, it makes complete sense now with the, the glasses that I've been given by God, that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. And I hope that if more Christians had that attitude of their belief is a gift from God, um, that it's something that, that God gives, that they could be more humble and, and winsome in how they communicate the gospel. And then also live out the gospel, not just be armed with a message, uh, but rather be living a life that would have people coming to you and asking you, what is this about? Right. Um, and yeah, culture Christianity, the benefit quote unquote that it gives people is you know what you don't really have to live your life differently just live it in this cocoon just watch these movies say these things look yeah. for these people and you're good right um, God loves you because you did this or that and, and that's not to me that's not biblical yeah and like like Dr. Holbrook said n- nobody's buying it anymore yeah yeah you're gonna yeah, say f- no I think for me everything flipped um, I was third 20 23, 22. <coughs> and um, I was given an assignment by a boss. And I was working in a church to listen to a sermon. And it was the first time I'd heard the story that we're all very familiar with. I think the entire world is probably familiar with this, David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. But it was, um, you know, in seminary, they might call this the redemptive historical perspective. But instead of reading that that story with the mindset of I'm like David and I can with God on my side, I can defeat this giant Goliath. Yes, I did it. We got this. Amen. And that, that, that was my reading up until a certain point up until this point. And then hearing that sermon, it, it was like, I, to me, that was my road to Damascus conversion. Almost like I, I really felt like the scales fell off my eyes. And, and so that reading is, no, 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 no. Jesus is David, and we are the Israelites. We we are God's people on the side who can't do anything. We can't fight this giant. It, like we're, we're helpless, and someone had to come in and intervene on our behalf. And all of a sudden, it took the onus off of me. And I, I remember just. I mean, I still think of it to this day. I can I picturing right now where I was sitting um, when I listened to it. And so it, it really took away that, that power from me or that really that failure on my part because I knew of all the times I just completely didn't 
give a shit about that and just wanted to play xbox or yeah. whatever and it, it made me no longer feel like i was a big failure because i wasn't always slaying giants or whatever right and by the way it's why i will never and have never watched the movie facing the giants because i just am not interested <laughs> yeah well th- that, w- that was and this could you know become a whole other conversation yeah i don't i don't mean that, to i think that understanding of, of that of that verse, I mean, that's historically, or that story, that's historically how what Christians believed. But Christianity over the last few hundred years has become so changed and mixed in with uh, achievement mentality, law of attraction, uh, the book from the 70s. A lot of what people think Christianity is right now is a very recent development. And then they'll hear people talk about this other kind of Christianity. Um, or they'll hear like Martin Luther's quote, um, you know, the shoemaker asked him, how do I make a good shoe? Or, you know, how do I glorify God just making shoes, right? Like, shouldn't I be a priest or something? And Martin Luther said, well, the way you glorify God is make a good shoe and sell it for a fair price because God is glorified through good craft- craftsmanship, which shows this kind of, like, love of just the earth and what happens here. And people hear that, and it's like, wow, that's mind-blowing. That's, like, so... It's like, that's 500 years old. That, Martin Luther said that so long ago. Yeah, uh, but it's become hidden because of just current, the current American Christian yep. culture. It's yep. it's, it's kind of like we've read, and and we're all you know grew up in America, and we've all all been steeped in the church you know from a young age. But it, you know that we've read American exceptionalism, I think, mm-hmm. into Christianity, and so it's an interesting time, particularly now in America, to to be thinking of these things. I think because for a lot of us what we grew up with as um, what was good and what was right, we're questioning. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely more of a centrist uh, now than... I'm actually more... I actually am a centrist. I, I, but about, when was it, 95, 96, going back to that time, I was definitely a right, right-wing Reaganite, James Dobson Republican, <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah, that was that was where that was my place, and that was my uh, my paradigm, and and I've definitely shifted. And I think it's because of basically what what Dr. Holbrook alluded to, which was learning. Be, uh, we we learn the behavior of 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 a Christian, and it's this behavior that's really not a thing. It's it it was kind of created by the the this Christian culture. It was foisted on us, and. And then I, I, I got to a point in my life where I was like, I don't know what I believe. Yeah, and then I started kind of to, to look into that. And I, and I was still an asshole, but at least I was looking into it to see what it was that I believed, you know. And, and, uh, and I, I went on this, this quest to understand my faith, and, and, and that changed things a little bit. But about that learned behavior, uh, it, the damage that that does is so significant. And, and I, was, I, I mentioned in the interview the movie Saved, and there was one scene that was really funny and really sad at the same time. The main character, uh, I, f- I forget her name, but uh, she's a young girl, and she's, uh, the, the story is, is based on her. And she, she's, she's, uh, it's her senior year. She has a, the perfect Christian boyfriend. And uh, through a series of funny events, he confesses that he thinks he might be gay. And uh, so she, she, in order to, she's, she's, she thinks she has this vision of Jesus telling her, you need to save him. And, and the way that she believes that she has to save him is to have sex with him. So she has sex with him and she gets pregnant. Now, at the funny part and sad part, 
That was pretty funny, though. But the, but the funny part is she realizes that she might be pregnant because she's feeling sick. So she gets a, 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 an EPT test, you know, one of those pregnancy tests from the, uh, from the pharmacy. And, and, she, she's, and she had seen a, seen a Lifetime movie starring Valerie Bertinelli, who has cancer. And, and Valerie Bertinelli, the, her character, says that she was throwing up a lot, just like she was, this girl in the film. And so she goes to, she gets a pregnancy test. She, she does it. She pees on the thing. And then she says, she, she says this. She says, please let it be cancer. Please let it be cancer. Please let it be cancer. So it was like, she would, because of Christian culture, it would be more acceptable if she was, if she had cancer and was possibly dying than if she would be pregnant. And God forbid she had premarital sex because that was the big sin, you know? That was like the big thing you didn't do. That's the one that we grew up with. It was like, you can't do that. I have a friend who's a mutual friend of ours who, who grew up in, in, a, in a very southern religious institute. He, he, to, he, went to, he grew up in, in these circles, and, and he actually said that the, the, whole, the sex thing was such a big deal that these these kids these or these university students or where I don't even know if it was in the high schools in that area that fed that university or the university itself they were having anal sex so as not to have you know vaginal sex the poopo loophole that's right there's even a name for that yeah see see that that's what we're trying to get at guys this is no joke this is really messed up anyway so i mean and again I, i'm gonna i'm gonna bring it down a little bit now bring it back to to you know so we can wrap it up but that's funny and at the same time what kind of level of shame is is prevalent in that kind of cultural christianity and i think that's that's what you know, that's what, that's what our, our, we're looking at for this episode. In our next episode, we're going we're gonna to present the last half of the, of the interview. We're going to talk about a few other things uh, that, that really resonated with us. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, a, 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 con- a concept that's been of interest to me of late, which is empathy and compassion. And something that I feel has been lacking in in cultural Christianity and we hope kind of makes a comeback.